Hey, you know it's hump day here on the Dan Dockett Show, and I want to say welcome. Hope everybody is having a fantastic morning, as I know that you are. Lots to get to tonight. But first, ladies and gentlemen, first and foremost, the gift that keeps on giving these complete jackasses country, look, that are I, running our I country. Look, I, I got to tell you, I've never been one of those guys that um, – got really political, but I don't know how anybody could stay out of it. Now, I honestly don't. Look, I don't care what side you're on, and I've said forever that I am a uh, completely down the middle. I believe both sides of the aisle have good ideas. I think we should incorporate both sides. I think to be overly left or overly right is idiotic. But I'm the commissioner of common sense. But yesterday, the worst among us, and I do mean this, I think this person is among the worst. Nonviolent crime division... Uh, not hardened criminal division, but Nancy Pelosi actually spoke yesterday and went biblical. Let's see. Let's see what we got here. You fed me in the Gospel of Matthew. Oh it also is so pleased that Mr. Meeks, the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, was with us because we talked about sanctions, the impact that, his, that it is having on food for the world. So when you're home thinking... What is this all about? Just think about when I was hungry, you fed me in the Gospel of Matthew. It also is so pleased that Mr. Meeks, the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, was with us because we talked about sanctions, the impact that, his, that it is having on food for the world. 40 million, no, I'm sorry, $40 billion going over to Ukraine. And the worst among us, this god-awful, unself-aware. Remember when she showed us her $10,000 refrigerator and her designer ice cream? That's what, when you're hungry, give us food means to her. Let me also read you from Matthew 23, 27, 28. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside. Not in that case. No woman's face gets pulled. Uh, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Man, oh man. If we're going to quote Matthew, then let's quote Matthew. Because that's exactly what this is. These people are so full of crap. We've got people. Now, let me go through another thing with you. And look, I don't know. Maybe this doesn't matter to you. Maybe you're so whacked out on your side politically that this kind of stuff uh, doesn't matter. But I got to tell you, it matters to me. And it never really did. But let's look at what's happened in the last year. And I think if people just accept this crap from Pelosi and from Biden, then you know what? We'll get more of the same, which is why I'm speaking out. And I am not a Republican nor Democrat. I'm just a person that's fed up. Listen to this. Increases in prices since the last year. Gas, plus 43%. Used cars, plus 22%. Meats, fish, eggs, 14%. New cars, 13%. Electricity, 11%. Transportation, 8%. Uh, overall CPI, plus 8.3%. That means inflation's up 8.3%. I have said this forever, and this goes back to when I was a kid, and I told you all that I read the paper every day. I, I'd never forget. I don't know what the name of the gas station was because it wasn't a Shell or it wasn't a name brand, Sitco, whatever. 
But the gas station across from the Y&W on Broadway went from like 33 cents to 88 cents. I'll never forget seeing 88 cents. And that was all when Jimmy Carter came in. And don't tell me the president doesn't influence, because all I know is this. When Trump was in, it was a buck 60 something. And now it's the highest gas price. It's five cents below the highest gas prices in the history of the United States. Think about that for a second. Think about that. All because a bunch of hypocrites hated one man. That's it. They didn't care what he was doing for the economy. They didn't care what he was doing in terms of making the United States a strong nation. They cared that he was evil and a bad guy. Donald Trump went from a guy that helped all the African-American uh, communities that he could to being a racist. Why? Because he became a Republican. All you got to do is look at pictures of Donald Trump back in the day and look at the quotes of different people, including Jesse Jackson and others, uh, Al Sharpton and others, about the help Donald Trump gave. But all because one side, one crazy-ass side, decided we don't like this guy. Now you have to suffer. Now, ladies and gentlemen, on a war that is way the hell away from all of us, we're giving $40 million a billion dollars, while all you got to do is look what's happening on our streets, uh, look in Chicago and look at other places. Hell, last night in Indianapolis on the canal, one of the safest places in the city, four people were shot. We allowed rooting and, looting in our cities. We allow gas prices to sky right. We allow every single thing that isn't good for the collective, for all of us, <coughs> like 99.9 of us. We don't teach reading, writing, arithmetic in schools. We got teachers freaking teaching, are you a boy or are you a girl? What in the hell is that? Explain all this to me, please, anybody, instead of just insulting and saying, well, you're a dumbass. Uh, you know, uh, no, wait, hold it. Don't tell me that the president doesn't influence gas prices because two months ago when the overinflated gas prices went down 12 cents, the freaking uh, Democratic National whatever the hell committee or whatever's on Twitter uh, spouted how, oh, by the way, look at our president. He just reduced gas prices. I asked three things out of a president. I don't want to hear the word inflation. Gas prices keep money controlling the market up. How's your 401k doing? It's crap. You name me something that this administration is doing that's worth a damn. You name it. You tell me. All because you didn't like mean tweets. And the other thing, and this is maybe the most ridiculous out of all of this, Everything that is knocked down as a conspiracy theory by the most trusted, the fifth estate, whatever the hell you call these jackasses in the media, turned out to be true. It turned out to be true. How are we doing on Russia? We still haven't found Hillary Clinton's freaking emails. Of course not. I mean, honest to God. That's why I just sit in my house and have a great time, and I, you can't be around anybody because people are insane. Honest to God, insane. The insanity of this world, and it's not even common sense. If you had a do-over again, if you had a do-over again in November, I'm guessing some of you idiots would do it. No, I'm, I'm serious about it. I'm guessing some of you guys, oh man, you know, Biden's great. Really? What's great about him? Name me one thing. Well, uh, he, he turns and shakes hands. He doesn't even know where the hell he is. Well, you're shaming. I ain't shaming nothing. It's freaking president of the United States. If you don't know where the hell you are as a president of the United States, you ought not be the damn president of the United States. Honest to God, I, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, WRTV Indianapolis, the average for a gallon of regular gas reached an all-time high of $4.40 on Wednesday after increasing $0.03 cents overnight. 
And you all are good with that. I tell my kids all the time, I tell every young person, this is what you voted for, this is how stupid you are. Honest to God, this is how stupid people are. Yeah, let's make sure people that can't get off their fat asses and go vote, make sure that we harvest ballot. The world is ridiculous. And you know what? I have never been involved in this, and I'm so glad and thankful to Clay Travis, the folks at Fox News, for giving me uh, this show so at least I can talk about it. I'm not allowed to talk about it when I was at ESPN. Hell, you had to be L. Duncan. You had to be in the LGTQ whatever community or an African-American male. You couldn't talk about anything if you're a 58, 57-year-old white guy. Oh, man. I remember Seth Greenberg talked about uh, the debate. Hey, 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 stop. No, no, no political talk. So they had this big meeting, no political talk. Ten minutes later, Jalen Rose is spewing stupid stuff relative to politics after having a DUI, after calling people white boy wasted. Please, just stop. Thank you, Outkick. Thank you, freaking Fox News. However long this show goes, I can't thank you enough because at least I feel better at the end of the day that I'm trying to do something while all these jackasses sit there and tell us how great Frickin' Biden, uh, 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 he doesn't have anything to do with the war. He doesn't have anything to do with inflation. He doesn't have anything to do with gas prices. He doesn't have anything to do with the stock market. Oh, okay, well, what the hell's he got to do with? Making sure the LGBTQ community, or we got $40 billion going over. Hey, great. Help everybody. That's wonderful. But how about you help the citizens here first by having some policies that aren't pandering and jackassery and full of pork? The level of stupid that we've reached in this country is beyond my comprehension. Honest to God. And it's everywhere. I can't turn on, I cannot turn on uh, a television and try to get an honest, actual analysis of an NBA game without this crap that I'm watching right now. Uh, uh, thank God for Legler. The world is nuts. The world, the genie bus is looking at everything, right? Oh my God, that's an hour and a half show. Has Mike McCarthy been fired yet today? The world is insane. We're absolutely, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going rogue here, but hey, it's nuts, and I can't think, and I, however long this lasts, it lasts. Jesus, we let in Indianapolis, true story, we let riots go on. For what? We have no downtown. The downtown we do have now gets shot. Uh, weakness. Weakness doesn't do you any good. Weakness gets people killed. And last night, four women were shot on the canal downtown Indy. Yeah, it's really unbelievable. It, 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 and, and we don't seem to care. As long as our candidate is in there. As long as our candidate is uh, okay. I mean, our candidate. Our candidate is more important than the good. How about we just think for ourselves? How about, look at this, you want to see some here? Here, this is a kid running in Chicago. This is a kid running in Chicago because gang members are shooting the damn thing up. Walking down the street in Chicago with an AK. That's what goes on in our cities. And the idiot mayor of Chicago uh, is worried about, well, LGTBQRSTU. Uh, when nothing's even happened. But that's the, that's the stuff that goes on every day in Chicago. A little kid walking home is seen with a backpack with some guy, some soldier in some 
piece of crap gang shooting up down at the place where the kid lives and the kid's got to run home. That's the crap that goes on in Chicago while the mayor wants a call to arms on the LGBTQ plus community on something that hasn't even happened because of a leaked memo that hasn't even happened that way either. I mean, think about the world we're living in for one second. Just think about it. I don't give a damn if everyone's turned off this TV. I don't give a damn. I want you to watch it. I hope you do. But at some point, somebody got to get mad about this. Stand up. Now, my words mean nothing because nothing's going to get done. But the more people that start saying, wait a second, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and all you lifetime pile of frickin' with a fake face and gourmet uh, ice cream in your $10,000 fridge, what about us? Well, we don't do that. Oh, man, Trump, Trump, Trump mean, orange bad. Who cares? If you're getting your morality from a frickin' president, then you should have no respect for old Bill Clinton or or little girl sniffing Joe Biden. Jesus. It's unbelievable. It really is. Yeah, it's incredible how stupid we've become. And I have no problem saying it because this is exactly what we've become. Matthew, that freaking fake-faced fraud is going to tweet or talk about Matthew. It's the perfect, perfect, perfect gospel for her to talk about because then it talks about the hypocrisy of frauds like her, like Biden. Oh, families, we're going to help families. What a bunch of... All right, let's get into sports. Read Detmers of the uh, Angels through a no-hitter last night. Oh, my God. Hey, Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, his arm fall off. Is Reed Detmers dead today? Where's Jeff Passan writing the book? Oh, we got to protect arms. <laughs> I'll tell you right now. Reed Detmers, 22 years old, threw a no-hitter and only had two strikeouts. He's, Annabelle Sanchez threw a no-hitter at 22. This guy throws a no-hitter at 22. And it isn't even on the front page of ESPN's baseball part. It's on the little headlines. A no-freaking-hitter. When some pitcher actually had the stones, unlike that fraud Clayton Kershaw. I told you the story of Clayton Kershaw, right? Clayton Kershaw's pitching against Kyle Hendricks to go to the World Series. I see MLB Network's Danny Plezak. I'm like, Sack, what's going on? Hey, can the Cubs win? Oh, yeah, Kershaw's so soft, he got nothing. He thinks he's tired. Cubs route him. Clayton Kershaw. I got two words for Clayton Kershaw. My ass. I got two words for Reed Detmer. Kick ass. You're damn right. Good for him. Speaking of soft, wimpy, and ridiculous, I, I have an article coming up today. The article is about this guy, Josh Lambeau. Remember Josh Lambeau? Josh Lambeau's a soft-ass, sorry-ass kicker for the, uh, what's it called, the Jacksonville Jaguars. So Josh Lambeau alleges that he got kicked by Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer, on our show, told me I didn't kick him. Josh Lambeau then, then, kind of, sort of, maybe, sort of, kind of cussed at Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer said, hey, look, Lambeau, uh, I have never let a player talk to me like this before, and if you do this and you continue, your ass is going to be out of here so fast that you 
won't find another job or whatever the hell he said. All right? Uh, so Lambo, if you can believe this, feels like, I'm going to sue. It's a hostile work environment. This is how ridiculous we are as a country. Now, now, a, a football coach getting after a player is a hostile work environment. That's where we're at. That's what today brings. That's the world that we all live in. Today, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a football coach telling a kicker who initiated the angst. This dude initiates it by, by his own account. He initiates it, and you know what happens? Then he decides, I'm going to be the victim here. I'm going to be the victim here. I'm trying to find this quote that I absolutely love. My favorite quote. Manipulation is when they blame you for their disrespect. So this soft-ass Lambo decides, Coach, Coach got mad at me after, after I yelled at him. So he does what everybody in America does. That's a little batch. I'm going to sue for $3.5 million. I actually have an article that I am now tweeting out. I wrote an article on this and the ridiculous halftime show uh, of ESPN. But anyway, uh, I want you to see this article. So this Lambo decides this is what I'm going to do. Now, really? I, I don't know. Look, maybe you find some liberal-ass judge that thinks everything's a hostile work environment if you don't say, yes, uh, 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 how are you? Is everything okay? My gosh. I know you missed seven field goals, and I know you're a little batch, but hey, is everything okay? How are your feelings today? Hi, Josh. Is everything all right? God, I hope you're okay. So Lambeau's going to sue. It's going to get thrown out. I suggest to all you soft-ass men out there, you listen to Jennifer on our YouTube chat, who is begging for men to be men, or my wife, the lovely Lee Ross, who is begging for men to be men. And if that offends you, tough shit. It's time men just read Wild at Heart, John Etheridge. Just read it. It gives you permission to actually be a man, a hunter, a protector. Not this little dip, you know what? Drive you nuts. Swear to God. And we celebrate, oh, your feelings. How's your feelings? Is the feelings okay? Are we okay? Uh, 3.5 is salary for 2021 plus damages for emotional duress. Manipulation is when you blame me for your disrespect. That's the story of my life right there. It's unbelievable. All right, what's next? Uh, Broncos, Rams, Christmas Day. Broncos, because we know ESPN told us Sierra and Russell Wilson have a new puppy named Bronco. Yeah, that's news. Yeah. And, and, and Sierra's showing side boob again. Yeah. That's, that's news. So guy with a new puppy is going to play the Rams on Christmas Day. Yay! 
Last year on Christmas Day, NFL Network had the Cardinals and the Colts, two basically nondescript teams. And guess what? I think it was the third highest rated ever in the history of the NFL Network, 12 million. 28 million watched on Fox, third biggest of the year last year. Christmas Day, smart, smart, and more smart. I get it. The NBA's fine. They got that quadruple header, and I love it. But I got to tell you, you put football on Christmas Day like you did, it's over. Football on Thanksgiving, football on Black Friday, football on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, football on Christmas Eve, football on Christmas Day, football on New Year's Day. I'm all in on all of it, and do not stop. Do not stop. That's right. And I wonder what that thing is in the orange by the television. See that? Those of you that are watching here, what is that thing there? It looks like a variety of things. It looks like it might be mama got a little friend. My mind goes places. My mind goes places that others won't go, which makes our show the most fun in the world. My mind goes places. What is that orange thing? Oh, you can't see me pointing at it. I wish I had a telestrator. What's that thing to the right by the TV? What you got going there, mama? Hey, baby. John Morant likely out for the rest of the NBA playoffs. He's got a bone bruise, which according to the sports doc, who is here with OutKick, uh, that means that the little touch that Jordan Poole did to John Morant and everybody and their mother in our soft-ass world uh, decided, oh, my God, Jordan Poole was trying to hurt John Morant. And John Morant's stupid enough in his second year to say, that's the code. Really? All right, Ja, there's a loose ball. I won't go for it because some idiotic code says if I touch your knee, then I'm a bad guy. Guys are fools now. The softness of the world extends to everything. Everybody should be, what has two thumbs and everybody should be like? This guy. (laughs) John Moran. Oh, man, he's out. He's got a bone bruise. That's too bad because he is the face of the NBA, and he is terrific. But Jordan Poole didn't do a damn thing to hurt him. Didn't do a damn thing. And you can whine, bitch, and moan all you want, but Jordan Poole did nothing. And I get it. It's a story. I understand that we all got to whine. I understand all of it. I really do. But John Morant, him, he was hurt way before that. Nobody touched him, and away you go. Let me ask you a question. Michael Jordan, Tom Brady, and all these stars seem to travel all over the world. Don't they have wives and kids? I, I, I don't know. Don't they have wives and kids? What do I know? I uh, love me some Mike Bray, the Notre Dame head coach. Mike Bray, the Notre Dame head coach, told coaches, hey, how about you just shut the hell up and adjust with this NIL? I like it. I like it a lot. Bray at one point was the head of the Basketball Coaches Association, which is basically akin to being the best-looking man, I don't know, in the Dockage family reunion. There ain't a lot there with that job, but it is a title. And I got to tell you um, – at the end of the day, he's right. But, but, here's where he might not be right. At some point, you got to stand up. some point, you got to say, hey, what are we doing here? some point, you got to go, hey, look, we need to make corrections. So complaining to that vein, uh, he may not be right. But to the vein of, hey, look, will you just shut the hell up, coaches and adjust? Boy, I agree with him. 
you get so tired. Like, coach has been cheating forever, whether it's three phone calls in a week when you're only allowed one or a special. I don't even know. And all of a sudden, it's legal, and people are complaining. Hey, look, you know who should be complaining? Bowling Green coach. Bowling Green coach should be complaining because he can't get as much money as what Texas A&M can for a football uh, freaking recruiting class. That just should be complaining, if anybody's going to complain. But, hell, if I was a head coach at Bowling Green, I'd be on the phone every minute of every day trying to get a big pool of money, and I'd try to get more money than maybe Indiana has, if that's possible. Hell, Bowling Green has 23,000 students every year. That means they got a ton of alumni. I'd try to get a big old pot and buy the best five players in the freaking state of Indiana. Maybe it evens things out. I'm with Bray. How about you just shut the living hell up? Serious business. You just shut up, coaches. Had enough of you. Um, last night's NBA. I always say this. People don't want to hear, why am I always right? Can we discuss that for just a second? But last night in the NBA, it was the Heat and the 76ers. Honest to God, you see the guy on the right there? He sulked through an entire game. Joel Embiid, now they were saying this on TV, and I don't know if this is right or not, but Joel Embiid sulked through an entire game. NBA playoff basketball game. Think about that. Think about that. Salt through an entire game. Took 11 shots, acted like he didn't care to the point where the best halftime show, the only, only honest halftime show, had to talk about whether or not he was sulking or whether he was hurt. The score was 120 to 85. Uh, the 76ers did not care. That's what happens when you get children. The Heat are not children. The Heat are adult men. But when you get children like Embiid and others, you get 120 to 85 in a big game, and you get your star player sulking through the game. <laughs> when did men, men, not children, when did men, 21 and over, start sulking? When did we decide sulking is a good thing? This is why we need fathers. If I sulked when I was a kid, my father would not have had it. I'm not one of those guys that said, my father would have hit me. My father just wouldn't have had it. And then the other game, look, that's a 30-point game too. That's just a matter of the Mavericks not being any good. Look, here's the way it happens in the NBA. You can scheme pretty good games for about three or four games, and then everybody knows everybody really well. So what happens? Well, you know what happens. The better team's going to win. That's why these series are so great. Because it gets the better team through. And by the way, go to OutKick. I have an article up right now about why, ladies and gentlemen, why the NBA playoffs are better than the NCAA tournament. And one of the reasons is home court advantage. And last night, you saw two home court teams win by 30-plus points. And one of the reasons is the home court. Now, the other reason is after you get to a certain point in a series, talent takes over. Like, you're not going to run a set at this point, game five, six, or seven, that the other team hasn't seen. I mean, there's eight million little nerdy guys sitting in a back room dissecting every play and giving you a percentage on every play. I mean, look, you go to the NBA, they spend bazillions of dollars on dudes that sit in the back and go, hey, watch out for this play, watch out for that play. So you're going to have to, you're going to have to beat them with talent. And last night, Quite frankly, Devin Booker and the rest did. They just did. 
Chris Paul had 10 assists. He had 28 from Booker. The game was over early. And you're going to probably see it next time. Not 30 points, but you're probably going to see it. And Joel Embiid, I got two words for you, my ass. Read wild at heart, Joel Embiid. Don't go sulking through an entire game. Look, you all, we all can make excuses for him, but that's why I love Sir Charles, Kenny, and Shaq. Sir Charles, Kenny, and Clark Kellogg, Mr. Vanilla, during the NCAA tournament, that's no good. Uh, those two are good. But you throw Shaq in there, where, you know, and Shaq's always got to talk about himself, which I think is really funny. Shaq is the epitome of a meathead. Well, you know, when I played, well, I, I wouldn't allow that to happen. Okay. But anyway, I love it. So there you go. Go read my article. It's at OutKick right now on the website, and I think you're going to like it. It talks about this. Let me ask you also a question. Has there ever been a broadcaster, outside of when me and Tariko were doing games, has there ever been a broadcaster that you turned a big game on and watched? A big game on. A big one. The biggest NFL game. You said, hey, look, Rams are playing Tom Brady. I got to watch this because Joe Klatt's doing the game. Or Trey, Troy Aikman or whoever. Now, only guy, Howard Cosell. That's the only guy. Got a monster for you today. Todd Furman, you see him, you know him, you love him. On a variety of different shows. Allison Williams, oh man. Uh, I got a lot to talk about Allison Williams. When we come back, it is a great week for What the Hell Wednesday. I got, here's what I got in What the Hell Wednesday. Farting, flipping coins, uh, television star glues himself, Jim Irsay's out of his mind. PETA comes after Musk. And NBA games willing to play in the United Arab Emirates. We got it all. Like George Costanza said, I got it all, baby. We'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. Hey, welcome back. It is Wednesday. It is 930. You know what that means? What the hell Wednesday? All right, this is where we take news stories, mostly from sports, and bring them to you. We're going to bring them to you, and I know that there's a lot of weird stuff in this world, but let me give you this one. Now, I don't know who this guy is. I should, I assume, but his name is Marcelo. Wife, uh, Lee's best friend's wedding. And I looked around, I go, what? And my wife as women do, recognized the scent. But when you lose and you're an adult, again, where where are adults at? 34 years old. You got to kind of respect the team, don't you? How about this? Alejandro Villa, our great writer at OutKick. Here's the headline. Newlyweds flip a coin at the altar to choose what last name to accept. Yeah, I ain't doing that. I told my wife, we can go hyphens. I'll go whatever the hell you want. We can do whatever you want. An indecisive and chic. Of course they are. Are they cis? Are they LG? A couple in Virginia opted to challenge marriage norms by flipping a coin at the altar to determine which person's last name the newlyweds would take. Colin Henson and Pearl Lee went viral. March 26th, they had a wedding. They handed a coin to their marriage officiant to decide whether they would become 
the Hansons or the Lees. It did create drama, of course, in the wedding. People were like, as relayed to the New York Post, the 24-year-old Lee, who I guess is the girl, proposed the, I mean, a guy could be named Pearl, and a girl could be named Colin. Quit being sexist. Uh, proposed the unorthodox determiner after suggesting that neither person wanted to deal with the hassle of a name change and they both wanted to preserve their respective surname. Now, Lee was not happy. It was honestly so ironic that the thing that we'd get our 15 minutes of fame for was a coin flip, said the newly named Mrs. Hansen. So the dude won, proving once again there is a God. Yeah. That's right, proving once again, there is a God. Their coin toss, uh, the lady who filmed the scene, really resonated with me, and given the amazing number of comments posted about the video, apparently it resonated with lots of others as well. I think the reason is that the more, it's a more equitable way of deciding on the last name when you get married instead of just assuming that the man in the relationship is the one who gets to keep his name. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I say this all the time. What a great country. Think about the country we live in. I mean, with all of our nonsense, with all of our stupid, right? And we are freaking morons in terms of how we conduct our business. Uh, this is the stuff that we worry about. Yeah, it is. This is the stuff we have time to spend. Send $40 billion away from the country. I mean, help uh, people in the Ukraine. But because this is the stuff we're really concerned with. That and is Mike McCarthy getting fired today. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's incredible. Any of you guys watch the show Secession? The uncle, right? The uncle. Okay, the uncle's a little bit wacky. He's kind of an earthy guy. His name is James Cromwell. He was the star of Babe movies, Succession. Well, he's a woke cat, right? And he's going to teach folks a lesson. So this woke cat, James Cromwell, you've seen him in a bunch of stuff, man. But this dude glued himself to a New York City Starbucks counter protesting milk. Actor and noted animal rights activist James Cromwell glued his hand to the counter of a Starbucks in New York City on Tuesday in protest, saying the company charges more for plant-based milk alternatives. That's what we got to worry about here in the United States. We do. So I'm going to tell you something. If you came to this gorgeous set that we have and protested me uh, being mean to hair follicles and glued your hand to the freaking desk, I'd let your ass sit there. I'd turn off the lights, shut the door, have a great time. I don't know. PETA posted live video on social media showing Cromwell, 82 years old, the star of Babe movies and Succession, voicing his concerns while wearing a Free the Animals t-shirt. All right. Will you stop charging more for vegan milk? When will you stop raking in huge profits while customers, animals, and the environment suffer? I don't know, man. I don't want to tell you. Supply and demand. Free market. I don't know. But you know what? James Cromwell, good for you, man. You glued your hand to a Starbucks at 80-some years old. I hope I care about something at 80-some years old other than the pile. Never mind. It would have been 
I don't know. But so this dude, he decides, you know what? I'm going to glue myself to a Starbucks. Hell yes. What would you glue yourself to? If you could glue yourself to something, what would you glue yourself to? And don't say Elizabeth Hurley. Don't say Jennifer Aniston. I don't know the uh, crazy-ass Britney Spears is sitting around there all naked. She needs to glue some clothes on. I mean, damn. But what? who or what would you glue yourself to? Hey, look, hey, uh, uh, hey uh, Davey. Davey, what do you want to do today? I don't know. Why don't you grab Dylan and Ryan and, uh, hey, let's go glue ourselves to, uh, I don't know, I don't know why we wouldn't. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> hey, Joe to the C, Van Pastor, man. Uh, El Presidente, we got a YouTube chat going. Uh, you guys thinking about gluing anything? Your body parts to anything? I don't know. One of the great lines in uh, Two and a Half Men is when Charlie, who has a stalker named Rose, she glues his testicles to his thigh. But short of that, I, I don't know. All right, let's continue with What the Hell Wednesday. Hey, are we going to show the video of my man Jimmy Ursay? Let's show Jimmy Ursay, man. This is my boy. special mojo for this journey. Surrounded me with the special spirits of sound. He's the best. He is a billionaire. He's on his billionaire plane. He's letting us all know. And Myra, I don't know what the hell she got. I mean, she got something. But Myra, you know, when you're around, I've never been around Jimmy Ursay. He refuses to come on my show. He'll go on others because they'll ask him questions that, you know, he likes. He won't come on mine. And that's cool. I got no problem with it. But Jimmy Ursay is one of these dudes that, uh, oh, I don't know, you just kind of like. So here's the video, right? And you can go to at Jim Ursay. So here are the comments at, after. Epic post, sir. Now there's this one little guy. He's got to kiss his ass so he doesn't count. Uh, Reggie Wayne, who also has to kiss his ass, put in hashtag living. Michael Silver, who I like, uh, he's a reporter guy, says the best. Uh, Joe Deachman says, nothing like trying to do a rhythmic chant while having the APU humming. I don't know what that means. I don't know. Some other guy named Drew says, bowls give you peace. And he's showing a guy lighting up a marijuana bowl. Uh, Brett Wagner says, hands down, best owner in the league. I'm telling you, Jimmy Ursay is out of his mind crazy, and it's great. He's our guy. He is. He stands outside his plane. He doesn't care that you might get jealous. He don't care about carbon emissions or whatever the hell. He's flying his big-ass plane somewhere. And if you don't like it, tough. Tough. That's it. I don't care. 
Some lady named GP, you got to understand, everybody kisses Jimmy's ass. The singing bowls are always so calming. May it bring you peace. Okay. All right. Uh, John says, hey, Jim, John here. My dad is awesome, so I don't want to lose him. Will you adopt us both? <laughs> Namaste. Jimmy Ursay. He's the best. Seriously. He's the best. Another guy says, hey, man, save some for the season. Jimmy Ursay is the owner that went from win, 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 greatness, 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 to accepting mediocrity, and we don't even care. We don't care. What do we care about? Look, Jimmy, entertain us. Indianapolis, we're a bit of a remedial fan base. We like cap space. We do. We like cap space and uh, our general manager winning awards. We do. We love it when our general manager gets an award from the agents that say, hey, he's the best general manager or the media. That's what we like. We don't want to make the playoffs. We just like when our general manager gets the award and when our owner uh, does namaste. I think it's awesome. All right. Uh, more with milk. Apparently milk has people insane these days. Apparently milk, uh, we already saw an actor that glued himself to a freaking Starbucks. Now PETA, the people for ethical treatment of animals, scolded billionaire Elon Musk for a tweet in which he declared that he enjoyed drinking some chocolate milk. What a country. Seriously, Jennifer, El Presidente, the rest. Isn't this a great country? I mean, this is our kind of country. This is the stuff we worry about. We don't have to worry about bombs. We don't have to worry about nothing. Hell, we got baby milk. We got baby formula shortages. We got a guy that doesn't know where he is in the White House. We got Nancy Pelosi quoting scriptures. We're giving 40 billion of our dollars to Ukraine when our gas prices are the highest in the history. But damn it, watch out for chocolate milk. Chocolate milk is insanely good, Elon Musk tweeted. Oh my God, how couldn't it get a response from PETA? Drinking cow's milk is like driving a gas guzzler. The dairy industry is one of the worst contributors to the climate catastrophe. What happened to caring about the environment? Now, chocolate milk, we can get behind. I don't what, what are you doing? That's what we got to worry about. It was a few years ago, PETA decided, uh, oh, I don't know, uh, the basketballs that are used in basketball need to be changed, and they changed them. And that one announcer has been smart enough, other than me, to understand that they're much softer, so they stick on the back iron, and they suck, and then they drop in. Only I understood that. Mm -hmm. uh, La, uh, Musk was having none of it. This is why I like Elon Musk. You got to stand up to people. Putting people down for not doing everything they can to support a certain issue is annoying and makes many people not want to do anything just for spite. Food for thought. Yeah, everything you do. Like, hey, every word I say on here must be scrutinized because we can't be perceived as any kind of ist. Drink milk. Defend yourself. Manipulation. I mean, we must conform to PETA. LGTBQRS, we must conform to. 
We must always conform to every group that is the loudest. And if we don't, we shall be chastised and the narrative will be switched to something else, which is what always happens. Man, oh man, I know cars, I know cows fart a lot, and I know that that Brazilian soccer player farted a lot, uh, but the truth of the matter is, this gives me gas. Well, you don't understand, Doc. It's, I don't. Uh, you guys win. You wore my ass out. So I'm just going to keep talking. This is interesting, and I love, I love, don't like, I love what our faithful leader, Clay Travis, is doing here. I do. Clay Travis is calling out L. Duncan. If you recall, ESPN protested the parents' rights bill in Florida. It's the parents' rights bill, by the way. It is not don't say gay. It never says that in there, but the jackasses, again, you, I just told you, they changed the narrative because they mistakenly believed it attacked gay rights. Will ESPN, the primary TV partner of the NBA, also protest on air the NBA playing in games in the United Arab Emirates where gay people can be murdered for being gay. Where's L. Duncan on this? Where's that great social civil rights warrior, L. Duncan? Where's that girl, Lee, who had no idea what the hell she was breaking in for? And then her partner, I forget her name. She was a coach at Purdue, women's coach at Purdue. Whatever the hell her, she was reading from a script. We think this rights bill is not very good. <laughs> we don't like this rights bill because it is not very good. That's what that Purdue, former Purdue coach, uh, what, the hell, what the hell was her? Peck, Carolyn Peck. We got to do what? Oh, I, I wrote something out for Oh, okay. This is a don't say gay bill, so it is bad. That's all that was. But L. Duncan's a champion. Where are you, L. Baby? Come on, L. Duncan. Lead the way for us. You read from a telestrator every day. You're somebody we should be paying attention to. Come on, L. Damn it. Show us the light. Show us the way. Get Michael, whatever his name is, Michael Reeves or whatever. Yeah, get him on there. Come on. You hypocritical pricks. So full of shit, your eyes, eh. Eyes always tell the story. Where are you? Hey, I personally, I, now I will decry this. I think the NBA is hypocritical. I think the NBA is full of crap. I think the NBA should be protested and boycotted if they go through with this. It is wrong to support folks in the United Arab Emirates uh, that imprison you or even murder you for being gay. That is inherently freaking wrong and should be stopped. So I'll interrupt my show, but hell, I'm not one of the biggest partners. I won't have Norby Williamson clamoring at me. Hell, listen to this. The UAE just decriminalized premarital sex. Women were taken to jail if they were caught just seven months ago. But you know what it is? It's freaking greed. And Al Duncan and the rest of you effing hypocrites can kiss my ass. Per Reuters, while women are no longer jailed for premarital sex, new births require the, mar the parents' marriage certificate. 
Health insurers do not offer maternity cover to unmarried women. That's in the United Arab Emirates, where the NBA is going. It's unconscionable that this is what the NBA is doing, except we all know that the NBA is so full of crap and greed sells. What the NBA hasn't learned is that all their bullshit has been eliminated in this postseason, i.e., we don't have to listen to that idiot that is LeBron James spew his nonsensical political points. Uh, And what we get to do is watch basketball, great basketball, with uber-talented players, politics out, ratings up. Now you're going to send your group. If I were a player, I'd say I'm not going. I'd say I ain't going. Wenzel Duncan, I think the ESPN has some of the games this weekend. Is L. Duncan going to break in and defy? Is Stephanie uh, Drooley, is, uh, what's that clown's name? Dave Roberts, who runs the NBA. Uh, Mr. Woke, is Dave Roberts going to allow the NBA to be broken into with a protest about the United Arab Emirates by that great social justice lawyer, L. Duncan? Is that what's going to happen? Is that what we're going to have? Until it happens, you all can kiss my backside, you frauds. You change the narrative on a bill that had nothing to do. You want five-year-olds to be told about sex by some freaking teacher. I got to tell you, that's dangerous. And if you look at uh, libs of TikTok, I think is the name, they, they expose daily these sick people that are trying to get kids to change their sex without their parents knowing. You support that. That's what you support. You want Sister Geraldine, my third grade teacher, to bring me, Andy Atar, Freddie Viana, uh, and the rest of us in and ask us if we're actually boys. That's what you want. That's what you protest, but you won't protest uh, gay rights. You won't protest people being in prison, in some cases murdered for being homosexual. You won't protest that? Y'all are full of shit. And until you protest it, I got nothing to do with you. Keep putting big old windhorse down here to tell us how the NBA goes. Or Monica McCall to tell us how the NBA goes. Jesus. What's wrong with you folks? Y'all are ridiculous. Look, I ain't the best person in the world, but I ain't no damn hypocrite. I mean, where are you? It drive you nuts. It does. Man, oh man, oh, this will get turned around and I'll be some sort of ist, right? This narrative will be turned around. You know what I mean? It will be. It'll be turned around and somehow, some way, uh, I'll be made some kind of ist or some kind of little pos professor or their little buddies or somebody will say, well, you may find him Al Duncan, you're a misogynist tough. Hypocritical jackasses have no place in my world. So what do we got? We got a soccer player dropped from the team for farting and laughing after they get their ass beat. Newlyweds flip a coin because this is the new modern way. Shut up. This is the stuff we have to worry about. An old secession star glues himself to a Starbucks. You know what, by the way, Michigan Avenue in Chicago has got a five, I think I talked about this yesterday, it's got a five-story Starbucks, biggest in the world. I might glue myself in the top floor because they got a bar up there and pastries and coffee. I might glue myself there starting around 8 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday if they got TVs up there I didn't notice and not leave on a football Sunday till about, I don't know, 11 at night. Why not? Who doesn't want to? 
Uh, we're worried about Elon Musk and milk. Uh, let me review something for you. While we worry about Elon Musk and milk, may I just tell you, gas prices, highest they've been ever. Ever. I I'm just saying, ever. Did I say ever? I think I said ever. Ever. And we're worried about, well, milk. Well, 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 well milk. I'm going to go glue myself to, I don't know what I'm going to glue myself to. I'm going to go glue myself to my own self. But anyway, uh, we got a monster coming up. I can't wait to talk about all this with Allison Williams. She's my favorite interview of the week. ESPN owes Allison Williams an apology. Why in the hell was Mel Kuyper allowed to do the draft and Allison Williams got fired? More hypocrisy. Thank God for OutKick. Don't go anywhere. Keep it right here. And then I got Todd Furman. Todd Furman is great. He's going to tell you how to bet hockey, basketball, whatever. A-dubs next. We're going to get into some of this stuff. I can't wait. Uh, I'm going over to the YouTube chat. So those of you that are over on the YouTube chat, I'm anxious to see what the hell you got cracking this morning. I know it's good stuff. I haven't been there today, and I apologize, but I'm going there now. All right. We're coming back in about two minutes. Ladies and gentlemen, thank God. Thank God for OutKick, where you can speak freely. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the OutKick network. Hey, welcome back. I don't know what just happened, Allison. This ever happened to you? Your, my earpiece came apart somehow. <laughs> so I don't know what the hell I'm going to do here. I got to be able to hear you. So bear with me. It just got deep in my ear. I thought that's why yeah. I keep a whole like clump of earwax to keep things out of sticking in my ear. But I digress. Hey, hey, did hey, you break How your thing? You? I'm good. Are you going to be What's able to that? get through this? Did you break your earpiece? Is it in your ear, like in your head? Do we need to call a doctor? <laughs> Lee? I don't know. It, it, <laughs> you know, I'm very, when I was a kid, I saw a <laughs> Twilight Zone where the criminal would put this, this brain-eating bug in your ear when you slept. And so my oh, entire lifetime, I've been nervous about putting things in my ear. Because... <laughs> And, and does that include Q-tips? Is that why you have an excessive amount of earwax? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, yeah. Hey, A-dubs, <laughs> I got a lot to talk about. What do you think? You've been in college sports. You've talked to all kinds of people. Your school, Miami, John Ruiz goes nuts, and now all of a sudden the NIL has got to get guidelines on it. Where are we at with this in your mind? I mean, this is just so, um, this is so how the NCAA rolls, right? It's always reactionary. Um, it's never proactive. They, they, they opened up this can of worms and like got us all into the wild, wild west with the NIL with no guardrails whatsoever. Um, and I get it. Like they're just trying to avoid lawsuits to a certain extent, but I felt like the whole press release, um, was very on par with what we've seen with the NCAA in the past. And that's, 
it, it, it didn't have a lot of clarity and it didn't have a lot of teeth. Um, so I, I think I'm going to take like the Mike Bray approach and just say, everybody just shut up and deal with it. Like it is what it is. We're coaches. We make a lot of money and we'll figure this thing out. Um, I usually agree with most of the things Mike Bray says. So I'm, I'm with him on this. It, it is a bizarre time. And I think we all knew it would be. And we all kind of knew this was going to get ugly before it got right. And it was going to change things and all that. And so we're living through it and we're working through it. And you got to figure it out. Obviously, I think we talked last week, like the intent of all of this is not what it has become, which is boosters using it to incentivize <clears throat> recruiting and so forth um, versus rewarding people who have become you know, celebrities in their own right and, and have uh, business opportunities and, and endorsement opportunities outside of their sport. So it's a mess. Uh, but I mean, did we really expect anything else? <laughs> I like I, you bring up Bray. I just talked to, about this the other or in another segment, like I always said this and, and when coaches get complained, I go, dudes, we, we make, you know, they made, I never made that kind of money as a coach, but you know, you make four, five, three, whatever it is, million dollars, not you, you, to win number one, but two, mm -hmm. you got to handle the tough times. You got to handle the tough situations. And that's what Bray said. We make a lot of money, figure it out. And I think he's absolutely right. Yeah, he is. And, and this is, um, look, this is different and I get it, but there's a way to navigate it and work through it. And you don't need kind of the, the woe is me, like, oh, it's so hard, I'm losing this guy, and blah, blah, blah. Like, you figure it out, you figure out a solution, that's what you get paid to do. And you get paid a shit ton of money to do it, and in large part because guys you're coaching aren't getting money from the university. So I think you need to have some self-awareness uh, about what your role is and how you capitalize in this system and how it's been beneficial to you. And instead of playing the victim, maybe you try and work to be part of the solution. Because again, it is unprecedented. I get that. It's frustrating. The, the, the rules aren't clear if there are, how they work. And, and um, I'm sure it makes a lot of people uncomfortable. They were very comfortable with the rules before they knew how to cheat and get around them very easily and <laughs> cleanly. And, and they had their system in place. And now it's like, Oh wait, I don't, I don't really know how this works anymore. Um, so yes, I'm with, I'm with Mike Ray. Like this is why you make the money you make is to navigate these times and um, get your programs through them and handle them in the way that best represents your university and your program and the values that you have. So, um, of course, I agree with Mike Bray 100%. Everything always evolves back to the lovely Lee Ross Dockage, whose father famously taught her, mo money, mo problems. That's it. That's it. I mean, there's a famous rapper that said that too, but I'll go with I'll go with Mr. Ross. <laughs> like I had a friend yesterday who's who does have a lot of money. He go we were talking about this very thing. He's a Notre Dame fan. He goes, Hey Dan, listen, you make five hundred thousand dollars a year, you got five hundred thousand dollars worth of problems. You got eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, you got eight hundred and fifty thousand. Coaches have actually, Allison. Now, I, I, I stopped coaching in 07, and when I was a head coach at Bowling Green, I had to fundraise, I had to worry about academics, I had to worry about my whole staff um, being uh, complicit, compliant. Now they've taken, like, Notre Dame coach or Big Ten coach doesn't even think about worrying about fundraising. The academics is totally taken out. The compliance department, to, all you really got to do as a college coach is recruit and win. That's it. Now you got to recruit, win, and deal with the NIL. All right, so what? 
Yeah. And that's become a 24 seven job. This like recruiting is insane anymore. So I understand some of the, 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 the um, roles within those respective spheres have changed, but everything's delegated out. I mean, they don't, they don't deal with 90% of what uh, goes on within college athletics. Like you said, I mean, they have their, their radio shows and they do their recruiting and their coaching and the time they spend though at the office, like I'm not trying to diminish because there are coaches. And I think, you know, a lot of them who are downright psycho and they're there at like four 30 in the morning and they leave at nine 30 at night and 10 o'clock at night, or they sleep in their office and they don't see their family for months and all that. I don't think that's healthy either. I'm not saying like that's the solution or that coaches, um, <clears throat> aren't working hard, but you're right. Their focus is much more, um, narrow than it's ever had to be because they have these enormous staffs and support staffs and, um, everything that's, that's taken care of by the athletic department and, and the people that they hire. So their role is definitely more focused, but I don't think that time commitment probably has changed all that much just because of the demands of, of the job. Do you, all right, let me change gears actually very dramatically. Your thoughts <laughs> on all of the protests, we, we we're revisiting it from a from a week ago when it all started, now that we've had protests, not only in front of Supreme Court Justice's house, but I just saw where uh, people were protesting in front of Nancy Pelosi's house. about What, what is your thought on all this? Wow. Um, I didn't know that about Pelosi's house. That's interesting. I, I 100% support people's right to peacefully protest and express their opinions and wants and desires, and that is fundamental to our democracy. I, I I understand that completely um, and support that and always will. I, I think it's unfortunate that it's taking place in private residences. I, I don't think that is appropriate um, and can lead to, you know, things like intimidation and, and stuff like that that are problematic. I think it's more appropriate to take it to public spaces like, you know, the the footsteps of the Supreme Court. Um, I think it's also more impactful. I, I, I feel like it is um a more personal attack when it's taking place in a neighborhood or in, in front of a person's home. And, and that to me feels, um, feels wrong and, and not, con not consistent with the intent of the rule. So I think regardless of how you feel about um, the draft that was published and leaked and so forth, I think you have to kind of like step back and say, okay, is this an appropriate way to handle, um, you know, when we don't like what the Supreme court puts out, it's to go into their, their private residences and areas and neighborhoods and protests. I, I personally, I don't agree with that. I understand it might be within their rights. I think there's like some statutes that limit that um, because of the, the ability or, or the, the intimidation factor. Right. Um, so I don't personally agree with it. I'm not versed well enough in the law to like understand the legality of, of the right to do that. I think you, I think the most effective and meaningful protest should take place in a public space representative of um, the, the cause you're, you're protesting. I don't like this, like, and in that it feels like that's kind of where we've become with everything, where everything's very personal, right? Like instead of talking about arguments and logic and science and facts and, and, and law, we want to get personal with it. And that's what it feels like these protests have become. And I, I personally don't support that. Has have protests reached Wyoming where you are? <laughs> no, nothing has reached Wyoming where I am, except for the snow. It <laughs> snowed like a legit, it like stuck on the ground, 30 some degrees and snowing the other day. It was, yeah, um, no, nothing reaches here. I have no cell service. TV's not on a whole lot. You're working around the clock and you like, you just, it's funny. It's such a different way of life because 
you don't have time to be bothered by things that don't directly affect you. Does that make sense? So like, if it doesn't directly affect, like you can't get all worked up and whatnot because you're too busy. <laughs> There's too much other shit to do. There's guys busting theirs. You would actually right. get a kick out of it. So we have a, we have a log lodge, five log cabins. And that's what the majority of the structures are here. There are these guys um, that have come. I think they, they come from like an hour away down in Idaho and they have brought in these giant, I mean, like 20 foot poles, trees, they're trees, they're giant 20 foot dead trees. And they hand strip them down to repair the log rot damage that we have on, on the log cabin. And they were here yesterday. I think they got here at like eight 30 in the morning and they didn't leave until almost nine o'clock at night and they're busting their asses. And I, I, I watch them and I'm like, yeah, I've never had a real job in my life. <laughs> like, like that's freaking work. <laughs> it was insane. It's insane. So what they, they do. don't have time to. They don't have time to glue themselves to a Starbucks like I've seen a uh, guy with Succession do. Uh, they don't. Let me see what else was I talking about here today. Uh, they don't have time to worry about Elon Musk drinking chocolate milk. Like those are the stories yeah. in our country right now. You know, a uh, guy glues himself to a Starbucks because of milk, and Elon Musk gets ripped by PETA because he drank chocolate milk. You guys, you, 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 you wilderness, you're more than country folk. You're wilderness folk. You wilderness folk ain't got no time for this. Ain't got no time for that. They're trying to keep Damn. warm and get their houses to stand up and their logs not to run and put food on the table. They're not worried about offending people or PETA or any of that. Yeah. No, it's a much different way of life. Yeah. Hey, let me ask you this, because you are the smartest person that I talk to, you and Lee. Let me, is it fair? Is it fair to criticize Joe Biden over gas prices and inflation? Yes. 100%. Who, who else do you criticize for it? I mean, and I'm not just talking since the Russia-Ukraine thing. I mean, gas prices were on the rise since he took office. Inflation's been on the rise since he took office. Um, the, the economic stimulus checks that he put out, like people... The, this money has to come from somewhere. Um, and, and the restrictions he put in place with the oil production and so forth has driven up gas prices. The war in Ukraine does not help. I understand that. But why are we not more energy independent at this point? Um, why are we getting oil from Russia? Like that's not probably the smartest way to go about things. So yeah, I think, and, and, and here's the thing too, like Biden running talked about taking responsibility and like, Trump's responsibility for COVID, even though it was a virus, like, like there has to be accountability and responsibility. It's part of the job. It's, 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 um, yeah. And, and, and anybody that runs for it will say like, yes, we will take responsibility and they control so much of the government. How do you, how do you not put some of this on them? And, and it's concerning. And it is, it's not just like inflation and gas. I mean, food is out of control right now. There's, you know, all these food shortages predicted and it's bizarre. Like these food plants are burning at an insane rate. I don't know if you've seen that at all. And the flu with the birds and all that. And now like baby formula, there's a shortage. Like what's going on? Like, like what's, what's going on? <laughs> because nothing seems to be going right. Nothing seems to be working towards um, families who are, you know, trying to get by and, and, and having their like basic necessities um, jacked up in price, but also becoming really scarce, which is alarming. And I, I don't know who else you criticize or who else you look to than, than the leader of the country. You know, 
I, I, I feel like you and I are both kind of, I, what's the word, centrist. I, I've always said I, I can take stuff from this side. I can, t I, I look, I don't, I think, I think people that vo vote, and you and I have talked about this, vote on a straight party ticket are idiots. They can't think for themselves. Mm -hmm. I like to, if I'm going to vote in an election, I like to find out both sides because I think both sides have, have good ideas. But I got to tell you, uh, anybody, I, and again, you can tell me I'm wrong, please do, but I think that anybody that is currently supporting this, the performance of this administration is just simply so blinded by their support of a particular party or their hatred of Donald Trump. Because uh, I don't know how you can look at America and say this is good. It's both. Honestly, I think it's, it's people who are just um, so biased and, and, and cannot kind of see um, cannot see really what's in front of them. But I think a lot of it too is like the post Trump traumatic syndrome where people just hated him so much that anything is better than him. And so they are determined to figure out like what they can point to that's better or, um, refuse to acknowledge that perhaps things were in a better place with him, even though they didn't like him. That's the other thing. Like I, I try to compartmentalize, compartmentalize who Trump is as a person and like who he was as a president. Does that make sense? So for me, I don't like Trump. I'm not a Trump fan. Never was like he was an idiot and an ass and said a lot of really messed up inappropriate things and did some messed up inappropriate things. Um, but I'm not looking to go to dinner with the guy. So are you helping our country and making things better? <laughs> like, that's what I care about. I don't care about, and, and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe I should like be more concerned and want him to be more political. I don't know. Um, I, I don't need a nice guy as a president. I need somebody that's going to do what's best for this country. And looking back, I think it's pretty easy to see if you're open to it, that our country was in a better place three two years ago than, it, you know, three years ago than it is now. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's an element of denial, but I think you also have to realize like you can acknowledge he was an ass and still acknowledge that some of the policies he put in place were beneficial to the country. I would argue, you know, based on what you hear after the fact that if, if, uh, you know, Everybody tells me the greatest president in my my lifetime is uh, either Reagan or J JFK, and I would argue, well, if both, probably more JFK operated under the same scrutiny, i.e. social media, and we go back 20 years and see what you're doing and sneak around, I would argue, based on what I've read about JFK, that that dude, that dude had a lot going on. Let's put it let's put it that way, right? right. I mean, right. I don't want my moral compass from a freaking politician. I don't. I want you to do what's right for the people you represent. Period. Exactly. 100%. I don't care who you're sleeping with. I don't care uh what you tweet. I don't care like any of that stuff. Um do I morally agree with it? No, but I don't does it directly affect me? No. So if, if you um, can put our country first and do your job effectively and represent your constituents and the people that voted for you, great. And if you want to do things on the side that are I don't agree with that don't affect me, like, why is that such? I don't know. It doesn't bother me as much, but uh, apparently it doesn't bother a lot of people. <laughs> you and I both worked at ESPN. And I don't want this, you know, this isn't, I don't think, sour grapes on my part. I, I don't, and I know it's not on yours. But so ESPN jumps in, L. Duncan and all jump in in the middle of a women's tournament to complain about the, the narrative that they spewed about the don't say gay 
uh, law, which obviously isn't a don't say gay law. Is it hypocritical of ESPN to, to support or at least not break into NBA games when, when the NBA is going to go to the United Arab Emirates where it is illegal and, and uh, life imprisonment if you are homosexual? The hypocrisy within sports, the NBA in particular, is so alarming. And, and people just, they turn, they turn a blind eye. Um, I think it's a difficult position for ESPN to be in because, again, it is not a position of convenience. And that's what we've seen and is, is troubling with the social activism domestically. Um, when, when the NBA got involved in Black Lives Matter and ESPN, you know, kind of tag teamed on with that and, and the initiatives they've pushed domestically have been socially and financially convenient and they haven't been misaligned with any of their partners or Disney or so forth. If you take a stand now against the NBA going to United Arab of Emirates or even, you know, their dealings with China, which Ennis Cantor Freedom has been so outspoken about. I mean, there are serious human rights violations and atrocities that are taking place in these countries that are business partners and and um, financially beneficial for your your broadcast partners. So it's a, like I get it. It's a weird spot, but it is hypocritical. And if you want to tout like moral superiority and and social justice and uh, human rights, and then you want to do these deals with these countries, you're kind of speaking out of both sides of your mouth. So I'm I'm not saying I don't understand. I understand why these leagues and then their broadcast partners fall in line. Um, but I do think there is some hypocrisy there because they are stances of convenience. And, and that's what bothers me. Like nobody will take a stand for any of this stuff when it affects them financially. Very few people will. Companies will not. And I understand they have businesses to run. Um, and this isn't just like an NBA ESPN you know, issue. This is all of our domestic companies and the ties that we have to these countries that um, are not aligned with us morally. So it, it, it's complicated and it runs deep, but um, I do think it, it's at least having that discussion of like, okay, so you're going to take a stand on these issues, but not these. Well, why? Well, how is this different? Why are these people's rights um, any less important than, than the people of this country? So I think that's the, the can that you kind of open up. That's like, a, it gets complicated when you get into those types of political issues. And that's why ESPN always kind of took that stand of like, none of that. Right. I mean, like in the past, it was no politics, no getting involved in, in any of this stuff. It was just a blanket approach, whether they agreed with it on a higher level or not. Um, And then they've changed that. And now they've like gotten involved and, and, and taken a voice in in these issues. And now it puts them in a predicament like this, where they do seem, I think at least a bit hypocritical. Why would the NBA go there in the first place? Well, you know, social pressure, right? Money. I mean, um, it, it's hard to say exactly what the thought process was and the discussions were in those boardrooms without sitting down with Adam Silver. But this is, again, I mean, that's even if they felt like, OK, this is the right thing to do and we have to stand up and, and, and get involved in this capacity, um, they had to realize like there are other issues um with direct partners that are even bigger and more atrocious and that it's going to open themselves up to to those and it has um i think they've done a good job of 
kind of keeping a cap on it, but that has to do with the, the control they have over what's covered and the information disseminated. What's going on with your show? What's an update? Give us an update. I got a few more interviews, hopefully lined up for, for the end of this month. And then it's going to kind of be all in post because I got to, I got to shut it down pretty quick here. Um, so we've got a few more that we're going to knock out before I uh, have to go on maternity leave. And then, um, yeah, then hopefully they'll get them, they'll get them moving. You know how it is though. Like, like post-production takes freaking forever. Those guys, like I have so much respect for editors and the, the amount of time that it takes to make changes and tweaks and make a story flow and work. Um, so hopefully we'll get them out sooner rather than later, but uh, we'll have at least a handful in the can to, to get out to people. And I'm excited about a couple of the interviews we have coming up then in the month, but I don't want to jinx it. So I'm not, I'm not saying it until we like, we got them. <laughs> no, I understand. No, hey, look, hey, I'm so superstitious. Yeah, I get it. If you say it, it might screw it up. Well, there you go. Yeah, I go I back and it. forth. I'm like, I I'm totally going to put this in the universe. And then I'm like, no, I can't. It's like, I don't want to screw it up. <laughs> no, in my world. All right, have fun uh, cleaning and scrubbing and getting things ready out there. And, you know, it's 80 and sunny here, I, which I rarely say. But, hey, look, there you go. Sometimes hey, it's about 35 degrees. <laughs> we'll see you soon. Take care. She's the best. She's the best. I love the conversation with Allison Williams, and her show is going to be absolutely fantastic. I'm telling you right now, her show uh, is going to be off the chain, yo, on the Daily Wire, Ben Shapiro's. Hey, Davey, can you speak in my earpiece real quick? Yeah, my, something's going on with my earpiece. I can't hear people very well. I didn't hear Allison nearly as well. I, I'm going to try to fix it. Uh, when we come back, Todd Furman. Now, you know him, you love him, you watch him. Uh, and you can go to at Todd, F-U-H-R-M-A-N. I love watching Todd on the television. I think, hey, I, I believe Todd is still on with Clay on the Fox Gambling Show. Uh, Todd is one of those guys that has a great opinion. Todd's not afraid to share the opinion, and I'm a big fan of Todd. He's going to join us when we come back. I'm going to try to fix this earpiece because I, I, everything that I am hearing is distorted, and I am not happy about it. All right, we'll be right back. We're going to talk about a variety of things. Don't go anywhere. In fact, here's what you need to do. You need to just simply say to people, Dockage is on. Where's Dockich on? At Outkick. That's what you need to do. We're going to be right back with Todd Furman next. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Hey, you know him. You love him. Welcome first time on our show, Todd Furman. Here's what I like, Todd. Former odds maker, when I'm reading your Twitter bio, and by the way, at Todd, T-O-D-D-F-U-H-R-M-A-N. So I look at this, and it says former odds maker. And one of the reasons I wanted to have you on my show is because I really enjoyed when you and Clay and Uncle Sal did the show on Fox. But then I look at your Twitter. You're not a former odds maker. You're a freaking current odds maker because everything's about gambling for crying out loud. 
You know, it's a little bit different though, Dan. You spend time on one side of the counter trying to beat everybody out of their money and suddenly you go through a role reversal where now you're trying to take the sports books money. It's just like going from being a college basketball coach where you're trying to get the best out of your players to being an analyst where you can rip everybody apart and be critical from a very different perspective. So it's still all about the numbers, but the reality of things, I'm not setting numbers for the casino anymore. I'm trying to do my best to take them down. Hey, Todd, I, I got to ask you, because I get asked all the time about this, and I don't have the answer. You do. What, what does it mean? How do you go about setting the odds or the numbers for a casino? What, what's involved there? It's fascinating. Yeah, it's as much art form as it is science. You kind of apply a numerical value for every player and team, and it doesn't matter what sport. You could be talking about college basketball, the WNBA, even NASCAR, for example, everybody is reduced down to a number that you use to kind of mold in creating a betting market. So the goal of the odds maker isn't what people think. It's not to try and create 50% of the action on team A and 50% of the action on team B. It's using an accurate reflection for where these teams are, baking in a little bit of public perception, tying in the analytics, and trying to weight a lot of the mathematical variables the right way so you're placing proper numbers on a given quantity, and then you open the numbers up for betting, and more often than not, some of the sharpest bettors in the world will tell you when your opinions or your math models are wrong, or in some cases where you're right. The one good thing when you're doing it for the house is that you have a built-in mathematical advantage. It's the juice that we've seen so many times can bring bettors to their knees. The power of putting up $11 to win 10 is an extremely powerful component in leveling the playing field. How much of it is, you know, I, I, again, I'm totally ignorant on this, but I, I, I'm so curious, like computer generated algorithms, you talked about analytics, but is there an algorithm effect here? What, what do we got? Yeah, there's a lot more done with computer programming than, than ever before. I mean, the old days when guys were setting numbers, it was a lot of dudes sitting around smoking cigars, throwing back their brown liquor, trying to spitball in terms of where they thought some of those numbers should start. But when you look at the level of sophistication in the betting market now, oftentimes you have a couple of prominent sports books that establish a baseline for some of these prices when we're talking about regular season win totals or odds to win the AFC and NFC in the National Football League. But for individual game odds, you'll often have a couple of books that'll get their numbers up first you'll see that a market will reach an equilibrium point because the interesting part about it is that you and I could have very disparate opinions on a particular game, and I may make a game minus three, you may make a game minus five. What naturally will happen, though, is people will come to my sports book, they'll bet the favorite with me, they'll lay three, they'll go to your sports book, they'll take the underdog plus five, and they'll be able to create a little bit of an arbitrage situation. So it's always interesting when you watch the evolution of a point spread, the numbers that'll come out early on oftentimes get shaped over the course of the 12, 24, or in the case of football, six to seven days, they're on the board. And that's when you'll get professional bettors betting larger limits. The more efficient a market like we see in pro football, the bigger bets that odds makers feel comfortable in taking. What's a sharp? Yeah, I mean, a sharp is someone that does this professionally. They're an individual, male or female, whose opinion is respected in the betting market. And I think this is one of the most fascinating parts about sports gambling that often gets overlooked for those folks that are kind of just entering the space 
In the stock market, every dollar is created equally. If you want to buy 100 shares, you go to your broker. It doesn't matter if you're worth billions or if you're worth, worth thousands. The market is going to reflect that. Sports betting couldn't be more different in that particular regard in that someone's opinion can mean a lot more regardless of the amount of money they're putting down on a game. So if you're looking at, say, the NBA schedule for tonight and someone comes in with a truly respected opinion and they want to bet Golden State minus three for, let's say, $1,000 to use round numbers, there's a chance that books are going to try and move based off of that bet more so than somebody who could come in and bet four and five times that because what happens over time is you learn to profile your customers when you're in the odds-making business and you realize that there are going to be a select few individuals referred to as sharps that get the best of the number and know how the betting market is going to move, whether it's because of their mathematical inclination, whether they happen to have better information, or they may just have the slight knowledge of what player or players could be ruled out long before some of that information gets made public. So Joey Bag of Donuts walks into your casino, you're going to know it. A guy that's there is a sharp. A, there is a very good chance. Uh, from my time behind the counter at Caesars, we knew when certain players came the time of the week that they were going to bet and their unique betting pattern that there was going to be news that hadn't been made public yet that I was going to have to pay close attention to. And if someone comes in and wants to bet an NFL game for a substantial sum of cash at 9 a.m. when we opened up on Monday mornings, by Thursday, you had a pretty good idea that a starting quarterback wasn't going to be 100%, that a running back was going to be ruled out, or there were something that wasn't quite meeting to the eye in the general consensus out there. And it's the ongoing cat and mouse game uh, that takes place in sports books across the country because it's professional bettors' job to get the best of the number and move as much money as they can. And it's everyone on the other side of the counter working for the casino or for the sports book to try and protect their assets. And we used to look at it, and a phrase that still resonates with me, a lot that you see in retail. It was being able to sell the right product to the right customer at the right time. In this particular case, it was just how much money you were going to give an individual better on a particular team or betting future. Hey, Todd, how much pressure is there on a bookmaker, an odds maker? It all depends on who your boss is and how they're managing you because there are some bosses <laughs> that love to come in first thing Monday morning, yell and scream and go, how the hell did you not see this coming? When in reality, any good boss is going to understand that you're working the market throughout the course of the week. You're always going to be subject to late game variance, whether it's a made free throw, whether it's a field goal that bangs off of the uprights. And that's the determining factor. And so for me, I worked for a boss who's no longer in the space, who used to come in and, and blame us on losing days, but take all the credit when we would have a good NFL Sunday. So there was a lot more pressure there. But I think over time, uh, a lot of the good odds makers and the teams that they employ, they trust their staff to do some of their homework. And you just want to kind of build your trust. And when you establish a track record and a precedent for being able to shape numbers the right way, take the biggest bets from the right players, uh, oftentimes there is a level of stress involved because you always want to be right. It's the competitive nature of the industry as a whole. But at the same time, you can't control what's going to unfold uh, over the course of a 60-minute game. And you have to hope that during a full season, you're going to be right more often than not. But for any individual game on the calendar, there's a very good chance that you could swing and miss. And it's just the nature of the beast. Hey, how did you get into it? Uh, I was a degenerate from uh, when I was about 9 or 10 years old. And it kind of carried forward. 
So actually I got into betting sports with my old man, you know, growing up in the Chicago suburbs at a young age, we'd be driving a hockey practice at the crack of dawn, you know, four o'clock in the morning. And he would pick up the sun times of the Chicago tribune on Saturdays and Sundays. He'd flip it to me and we'd go back and forth in the course of a 30 minute drive. I'd pick the first game. He'd pick the second game. And it was kind of our little tradition that we would do. So we had a little bit of rooting interest for the games that were going to take place on Saturday and Sunday. Over time, though, because he wanted to teach me what he thought were valuable lessons, he decided, you know what, I'm going to allow you to pick every game and I'm just going to take the other side, regardless of who you pick. And as things would go on a little bit uh, each year or each week, I should say, he started to understand that I was doing more homework. I was spending time on the internet trying to figure out how I could get a little bit of a handicapping edge. And at that age, when you're you know, 12 or 13 years old, you're not thinking much of it. Fast forward to uh, when I got into high school and happened to find a campus bookie, you know, started betting a little bit more. Those dollar bets with my old man turned into betting 10 bucks on college basketball and hockey. So one day, Dan, I come home and I have a pocket full of cash, but like a moron, I don't clear it out of my jeans. So I throw it in the hamper. My mom does the laundry. And the first thing that my mom tells my dad is she thinks I'm dealing drugs because what other way does a 14 year old come home, you know, with 150, 200 bucks in cash in their pocket, but wrapped around the wad of cash was a little piece of notebook paper. It had all my bets written down. And of course my parents, like any good parents are going to do, sit me down. They're trying to explain the pitfalls, the trials and tribulations that come along with it. But at that point, I think they understood that I was going to do everything I could to get into the industry. Ended up spending a lot of time studying math, tried to convince the headmaster of boarding school that I should be able to start the sports gambling club going head to head with the stock stock market. He, however, didn't feel that my sales pitch was right in line with the overall school ethos. Uh, And then in college, spent all my time, you know, developing an aptitude for economics, studied what you know, offshore gaming had done for the Latin American economy, specifically in Costa Rica, and just tried to figure out how I could get into the gaming industry. Because for all intents and purposes, I really thought that I was destined to go work in Wall Street. I was going to put on my fancy suit. I was going to work 90 to 100 hours. And I look in the mirror and realize it'd be a hell of a lot more fun being 24 years old living in Las Vegas. But I can tell you, it's a much different dynamic now at 40 uh, with a fiance than it was when I was 24 and single out in Las Vegas, staying out till 4.30 and 5 in the morning and just trying to figure out how to deal with that hangover to meet with corporate executives 7.30 in the morning. <laughs> hey, I'm from that area. What, what high school did you go to? Uh, I went to Wheeling High School in the Chicago suburbs uh, before I ended up going to school out right outside of Boston for a couple of years at the Groton School. And then took the path as uh, every five foot 10, 146 pound goalie takes when you go to meet with Division I coaches and they go, You're not big enough to play at the D1 level and spend a little quality time playing D3 hockey. Where, ironically enough, Dan, my coach told me I had to make a choice between my gambling and my commitment to collegiate athletics. Here I am nearly 20 years later. I think you understand how that decision making tree went, realizing that I was never going to get a cup of coffee playing NHL hockey. Wait, what, I, I, <laughs> what, what high school did you go to in Chicago? Uh, I went to Wheeling in, in the northern suburbs. So, uh, you know, the other schools in our conference, Buffalo Grove, uh, Rolling Meadows, uh, in the mid-suburban league there. Yeah, yeah. All right, you are, like, when I, 
I try to tell people, look, I don't know jack squat about hockey. And hockey seems to me, now don't get offended, but seems to me like in the playoffs, a lot of luck. Like it goes off a skate for a goal, all this kind of stuff. Is hockey as difficult as any, more difficult? Where does hockey fit on the betting spectrum for you? You are spot on when you're talking about puck luck specifically and the amount of variance that'll show up in the course of a hockey game. And one of the numbers I think that puts it in perspective, when you look at the NBA, the best team is going to win over the course of a seven game series. You're obviously talking about much higher scoring levels and talent, you know, reigning supreme. And it's why you see the best teams vying for an NBA championship. But when you look at the NHL and it was a stats by Lopez, Michael Lopez, who now does a lot of work for the NFL, who put it out there when they distilled the numbers down to figure out who the truly best team is in the NHL. You can't decide that in a best of seven series. You'd have to play a best of 51 to give you a more accurate reflection of what team was able to dodge some of the variants and assert their dominance. So you are talking about, you know, a lot of sweats and one goal hockey games where to your point, a puck off of a skate, a puck off of a stick, you know, a puck bouncing off of a partition into an empty net. Uh, you hope that those things work in your favor, but there's no doubt betting hockey can take years off your life, even more so than some of the other sports, just because of how subjective some of the situations are. If a goalie gets hot, you have to tip your hat and realize I got to live to fight another day. And it's why it's so important to kind of stay away from laying massive favorites this time of year, because more things can go right than can go wrong over the course of the NHL playoffs. What, what do you like? I mean, obviously you were a hockey player growing up, so you love the sport. And I look at your Twitter and, and, you know, you got the Bet the Board podcast. By the way, great podcast, bettheboardpodcast.com or follow it at Bet the Board Pod, and you'll learn a lot and you'll be informed and you'll probably win money. Um, but when you look at this year's playoffs, Panthers the best. I know they lost early. I'm a big Panthers fan simply because I like the way they do business. Uh, Blackhawks were my first love growing up there, but they're not in. Where are we with the Panthers? Yeah, I mean, you look at Florida. I mean, a team that won the President's Trophy for the best record at point accumulation during the regular season. Uh, when you watch them on a nightly basis, I mean, this is a team that has a ton of firepower. They run three to four lines deep. They can score with anybody in the league. And that was kind of how they conducted themselves under Andrew Burnett's leadership during the regular season. The problem we've seen, at least through the first four games of the playoffs, and anything can change, and we started to get an inkling of what Florida was going to be able to do in game four when they battle back against the Caps. But it's a much different dynamic. It's a grittier game. You have to be physical uh, and go out there and being able to work for all of those greasy goals in front of the net. And you didn't see Florida buy into playoff hockey, at least through the first three games. And for you thought that they were on the brink if they don't get the you know game-tying goal in game four against the Caps after they pull Sergei Bobrovsky before winning the game in overtime – You'd have been talking like we see so often in the NHL, one of the best teams during the regular season, not even moving on to the next round. So I think Florida, the light bulb went on. Uh, but I do wonder, quite honestly, if this time of year, you know, the Florida Panthers team that had a grizzled veteran in Joel Quenville uh, behind the bench when the season started, you know, resigned under unfortunate circumstances, given everything that unfolded with the aforementioned Blackhawks, if Andrew Burnett will be able to make the right adjustments against the team in the Washington Capitals who have that Stanley Cup pedigree, Although they're getting a little bit older and long in the teeth, it's a team that's not going to give you an inch, and we'll see if Florida is able to learn something from that game for win 
that can catapult them into the next round. Because I think any hockey fan or casual observer would love to see the Panthers take on the winner of the Lightning uh, Toronto Maple Leaf series, because it would arguably be one of the best series you'll see this entire postseason. Hey, when you look at the NBA playoffs, how do you look at it? What do you see? I think what's been interesting, we've seen home court really start to rear its ugly head uh, over the last couple of games. And early on, that hadn't quite been the case. I mean, the Phoenix series, the perfect illustration, the home team has held serve in all five games, similar narrative playing out between Miami and Philadelphia. And I think the big question or what's often undersold is head coaching uh, this time of year. And you saw Spo make some of the adjustments required in game five to give Miami that three, two series lead last night. I think Philadelphia will hold serve and then it'll boil down to Doc Rivers trying to get the monkey off his back to actually win a pivotal game seven where he should have the best player on the floor. Uh, but the series that I think has been the most competitive and most entertaining from start to finish has been that Celtics Bucks series. And when you look at Boston, I mean, this was a team right around 500 in the middle of January that you could have had it 50 to one to win the NBA championship where they were, while they were struggling for an identity they suddenly commit on the defensive end. You get Jalen Brown to assert himself alongside Jason Tatum. And suddenly Al Horford, this postseason, has found a fountain of youth. I didn't think he was capable of these kind of offensive outlier performances. And here's Boston in firm control of their own destiny in the Eastern Conference. But I really believe what every basketball fan should want to see is the Phoenix Suns against the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference Finals, assuming that we get Phoenix at its absolute best. And if the adjustments that Monty made in the third quarter last night against the Dallas Mavericks are any indication, I think they go down to Dallas. They close that out in six. And the unfortunate reality for an upstart Grizzlies team is without John Morant in the fold, this series may be over in five. But at the same time, uh, I'd still lean towards the Grizz taking four tonight. I actually like the defensive effort we saw without Jaw in the fold, everybody else raising their level of play. I just think Golden State is too good in those late game situations for them to end up sending the series back to San Francisco and playing an extra basketball game. Hey, when you look at games, Todd, and, you know, Sagarin, uh, who's a friend of mine, he's insane, Jeff Sagarin, uh, he gives three points to the home team most times. How do you go with the home team in NBA playoffs and NHL hockey playoffs? What's the advantage? Well, it's funny that you mentioned Jeff. I mean, those were some of the first numbers I actually used to look at during study hall and high school, trying to break down some of the numbers, realizing you didn't have access to a lot of the mathematical models out there. There was no Ken Pomeroy or anything else. So he was kind of a visionary in that regard that taught me a lot about the space that I've tried to build on since then. When you're talking about the NBA playoffs, at least in the first round, home court advantage is only worth a shade more than a point. So you saw a lot of the home teams being undervalued and it's why the road teams were starting to you know, find a little bit of value in the betting market uh, and cover at a slightly higher rate. Now, the deeper we get into the playoffs and travel starts to take a little bit of a toll. Granted, it's not 30 years ago where all of these players are flying coach. You've seen that home court has played a bigger role. And the valuation as we get deeper into these series, I think gets to be more paramount. I'm not as bullish on home court necessarily being worth three points throughout the course of the NBA playoffs. But what's interesting about all of it, it's a truly fluid model because that's the school of thought that I was brought up on as well uh, in the National Football League, that it didn't matter where games were played. If you played in Lambeau in December or you played in Jacksonville in October, that home field baseline was going to be worth three points. What we found out digging into the numbers uh, over the years is that's not necessarily true and you have to have a sliding scale because it'll give you one point of opportunity or one and a half here or there. 
And you've seen it in the NHL playoffs, maybe more than any other sport, where sometimes home ice advantage can actually work against you. Carolina, for me right now, has the best home ice in the entire NHL. It's a team that really rallies around the fans in the building. But in a case like Minnesota last night, or even Toronto for the better part of two periods in game five against Tampa, you saw that kind of work against the home team because you grip your stick a little bit tighter. It takes the air out of the building. And unless you can be a true front runner, uh, that home crowd can work against you. And it's something that's plagued a lot of the Canadian teams for years, uh, for fans that come into the building, hoping for you know, a Stanley Cup run, they don't get it. And I think last night in Edmonton, at least for the first two periods as well, you know, you had fans sitting on their hands and it wasn't until Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl get the team going that the fans got behind it. But you could have heard a pin drop with that overtime game winner by Adrian Kempe uh, about 90 seconds into the extra frame. So home ice in the NHL, I think, is overvalued. In the NBA, we're starting to see it a little bit undervalued with home teams dominate uh, so far this round. You know, I've said for years, like, and, and, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I've said for years, one of the most ridiculous phrases in sports is the friendly confines of Wrigley Field because the fans at Wrigley Field are brutal on the Cubs. Uh, they are over the years. Now they've learned to like them when they win. And I always thought a little bit about what you're saying about the Cubs, man. The fans there can get on your ass. And for years, the Cubs were not great. Uh, well, actually, they're not. They're back to now. <laughs> Am I totally off base with that relative to Wrigley? No, I mean, we used to call it. I mean, growing up there when the Cubs were an afterthought throughout the course of the 90s, it was the world's largest bar. I mean, nobody went there to watch a baseball game, you know, for a 221st pitch on a Friday afternoon. It was how early can I get to Murphy's bleachers? How fast can I get a chicken sandwich down the hatch? And how many old styles am I going to polish off by the fifth inning before the Cubs were down seven or eight runs? So there is a component of that, that home field can work against the home team. uh, If the fan base wants to turn the problem for the Cubs right now is judging by the attendance, at least through April and May, there aren't enough fans in the building to make a difference as they're dealing with 40 and 50 degree temperatures. So I think you're going to get a pretty apathetic fan base Uh, knowing what the Ricketts family has done, selling off all the vestiges of the glory years for the Cubs. And we'll see if uh, the proud Northsiders are able to rebuild. But having grown up a Yankee fan and Nick fan, a Ranger fan and a Giant fan in Chicago, uh, it was not exactly the easiest throughout the 90s when I watched Michael Jordan win championship after championship after championship (laughs) at my beloved Nick's expense. And Dan, I'm still bitter about John Starks going two for 20 in game seven against the Houston Rockets. I thought that was going to be the chance for my beloved Knicks at the time to be able to get over the hump. Hey, you got to be a little bitter about what? Reggie Miller, eight points in 8.9 seconds, and John Starks yakking up two free throws? Come on, Starks. Help a brother out. It was incredible. I mean, watching that Knicks team, and you go back and you watch some of the old footage, and you wonder how they won as many games as they did. Uh, with some of the scoring or lack thereof, when your best offensive weapon, not named uh, Patrick Ewing in the paint, when you're going to Charles Smith for buckets at a critical juncture, or you're looking for Anthony Mason to make a jumper inside of six to eight feet, uh, it's pretty incredible that they were able to make all the deep runs just by beating teams up physically, because it was not a beauty pageant by any stretch of the imagination. No. Hey, last thing. If you had one piece of advice for somebody betting baseball, people always get confused about baseball. What would it be? Uh, Don't 
<laughs> but I think when you're looking at baseball, I mean, the real challenge of it is if you're going through it on a night-to-night basis, realize that even the worst teams in the league, if you're named the Cincinnati Reds, are still most likely going to find a way to win 60 games. So if you go in with a simplified approach and, hey, look, I want to bet the Dodgers and Yankees every night because I believe these teams are going to win 100 games, odds makers realize that. It's why they force you to kind of pay a premium and you're going to be looking to put up $2 or in some cases $3 just to make a dollar coming back. So don't necessarily focus on betting on the top teams or looking to bet against teams on the bottom. You can focus on the middle sector of teams that are undervalued. Try and identify a few pitchers and don't ever underestimate the value of the bullpen because there's no more frustrating feeling than when you get a dominant performance from your starter for the first seven innings and you watch a bunch of knuckleheads out there in the eighth and ninth inning trying to cobble together those last six outs. Uh, There's a great odds maker out here that says to bet baseball, you need a revolver and a bottle of whiskey. And I can understand completely, given some of the ninth inning collapses we've seen between the Mets and Phillies last week, and of course the White Sox and Indians with that six-run debacle the other night with Josh Naylor contributing, what, eight RBIs, I think, in the eighth inning or later. So baseball is a game where you need an iron stomach, and people who want to bet it on a day-in, day-out basis, I truly salute you. All right, man. Hey, Todd, that's fun stuff. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes with us, man. That was a blast for me. Thank you. Hey, thank you for having me in, Dan. I I really appreciate it and look forward to chatting a little bit more as we get deeper into football season. Yeah, man, I can't wait. Thank you. That's Todd Furman. Go find him, man, on Twitter. F-U-H-R-M-A-N. He's terrific. I I loved watching him when he was with Clay on the Fox uh, betting show. And thanks to Dylan and and, uh, everybody for getting him on. The podcast is called Bet the Board, at Bet the Board Pod. Or go to uh, bettheboardpodcast.com, and uh, it's, it's damn good. I mean, honest to God, all you got to do is uh, follow Todd, and he's going to have everything, you know, there for you. But uh, I enjoy the living hell out of him. I'm on, I, I feel bad about now telling you who the hell to bet tonight, but I'm going with home teams tonight. I think the Warriors close this thing out. I do. I, I think, uh, uh, well, I don't even know if the Warriors are at home. I got to look this up. But I'm looking right now. Is James Harden to blame for the Sixers getting blown out? No. No. No, James Harden isn't to blame for the Sixers getting blown out. I'm still taking the Warriors, even though they're on the road at Memphis. I think they get rid of this series. And I'm going to take the Celtics tonight. I just think the Celtics are better. When you come back from a 13-point deficit in the fourth quarter twice, you're a better team. You may not be the better team in the first half, but you're the better team. In fact... I'm going to bet pretty big on the Celtics tonight. All right, great stuff, Davey. Thanks for filling in, Dylan. Uh, Ryan, everybody over there, we had great guests. We're going to be right back at it right here tomorrow. I hope everybody has a wonderful afternoon. You can catch my act, 12 to 3, at 107.5 The Fan, wherever you listen to stuff, whether it's Spotify, Apple, you tell me. But we'll be back at it again tomorrow. Can't wait. This is a lot of fun. Hope you had some fun today, too. Dockage out.